You'll need your grace sheet for our hymn, To the Name of Our Salvation. We're at the bottom of that page. We're on stanza number five. Jesus is the name prevailing. Jesus is the name prevailing. Over every name by right. Over every name by right. Jesus is the name prevailing over every name by right. Jesus is the name prevailing over every name by right. So, our Savior has been designated even as the Son of God, uh, and thus, uh, by right, uh, he has authority over each and every one of us. And so, when the second person of the Trinity takes on human flesh, that too has been given to him. Uh, that he might be the one who is uh, over all things. We'll be talking about his uh, kingdom of power coming up pretty soon in Bible class. And so his name designates him as the Christ, that is, the person of God come to save us. At this name in terror quailing, at this name in terror quailing, Powers of hell are put to flight. Powers of hell are put to flight. At this name, in terror quailing, powers of hell are put to flight. At this name, in terror quailing, powers of hell are put to flight. So Jesus, who, as we saw, the, the demons come and they're scared of him. Um, what are you going to do to us, Son of God? They're uh, running away. Why? He is God who has come, and they're afraid that he has simply come to punish them. And so the powers of hell, the terrors which uh, scare the children of men, uh, for him, no. His name makes them run the other way. Uh, quailing means they lose their uh, strength, they uh, slink away. Um, and so here are their great uh, powers of hell, and, and yet, because of Jesus, by the preaching of his name, uh, no power over us. Sometimes people will ask about uh, the powers of demons or something of that sort, and, and say, well, you know, what about, oh, uh, what about, can I, can I, can I be, uh, sorry, I can't think of the word. Possessed. Possessed. There's another word that goes with that. What is, um, but that's good enough. That'll work. Influence. In, I don't know, something, something like that. Um, yeah, what about uh, possessed? Can, can a believer be possessed by a demon? Need I fear? Uh, the demons can come and take control or the devil can overcome? The answer is no. For the one who is a believer in Jesus, absolutely not. Uh, now, I don't want to give up my faith. I don't want to, you know, by myself, yeah, I'm fair game. Uh, but as you know, the scriptures say, no one can take us out of his hand. No, there is no one more powerful than our God. And as long as we are in his hand, no, a believer, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, then you cannot be possessed. 
the devil can come against you. Often Luther talks about the, uh, uh, the demons that make the noise and bang the pots and pans and whatever. And Luther says, you cross yourself and say, I believe in Jesus. You know, go do what you want, but you're not going to scare me. Um, in that way, with Christ, we need have no fear. They are put to flight. They quail away. God in mercy never failing. God in mercy never failing. Saves us by this name of might. Saves us by this name of might. God in mercy never failing. Saves us by this name of might. God in mercy never failing. Saves us by this name of might. So if there is power, there's power in the name. It's in the name of Jesus. Uh, that is where God is powerfully working to save us. It's in the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And through our faith in him, no, we have God's power upon our side. Why do we have this? Well, as it says here, God in mercy. It is his mercy towards us uh, that allows him to come. It's his mercy that never fails and thus we can have a confidence that we didn't earn it, nor do we keep it by our right actions. No, I was saved in mercy, and I remain uh, in, in God because of the mercy that God has for us. Stanza number five, any questions? Okay, stanza five. Jesus is the name prevailing over every name by right. At this name in terror quailing, powers of hell are put to flight. God in mercy never failing saves us by this name of might. We're on to the fifth part, which is the section dealing with confession and the office of the keys. What is confession? Repeat after me. Confession has two parts. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution. And Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. All right, so we call it confession. Uh, all right, Pastor, you've got confession on Saturday night. Yep. So you come up here, and you come, and you kneel down, and you say... I have sinned, I've cursed and not honored my parents, I've sinned. You get up and you walk out. Is that confession? No. Oh, I thought it was confessing. There were sins and there was a confession? It's not confession. No absolution. Whoa, no absolution, all right. So you say, wait a minute, what about this? Um, 
Sometimes, when we're talking about something, sometimes we use a part of it to describe the whole. So there is this thing, confession absolution, which God has provided, and sometimes we simply call it confession. But it includes absolution. If you leave right after that, you've missed the most important part. In fact, the Lutherans said, we're not getting rid of confession and absolution, this private confession absolution. In fact, the reason we're not getting rid of it is because of the most important part, that being absolution. If you happen to come Saturday night and you go, well, pastor, I don't know. I just can't think of anything to confess. Uh, I know I'm a sinner. Will I give you absolution? Absolutely. In fact, even in the absence of a confession of individual sins, obviously, I know I'm a sinner, I confess I'm a sinner, sure. I'm giving absolution. That's the most important part. If you come here and say, I came because I want to hear about the forgiveness of my sins, absolutely, I'm going to give it to you. Because it is the absolution uh, that is commanded in the scriptures. As we get to uh, some other places where it tells the pastor uh, that they are to forgive sins. Yes, they're to forgive sins. Now, there isn't any particular place where it is required that you confess individual sins to the pastor. It's just not in the scripture. It doesn't say, you have to do this, or you have to confess sins of stealing to the pastor, or you have to confess a certain sins. It, it never says that. It does say that the pastor is required to give out the forgiveness to those who are repentant. So, when you come for confession, you can confess individual sins. Obviously, if you want to hear what God has to say about those sins, I want to hear the words of forgiveness concerning that. But if you simply say, I'm a sinner, I know I've done wrong, I've come to hear the absolution, as a pastor, that's what I am to give you. So there's two parts. Confession. We confess sins. How do we know what sins are? It's a very good place to start. You bet. Uh, sometimes we might say, well, I'm kind of... I'm really feeling down and bad today. Is that a sin? No. No? No? What if you say, well, um, I, oh, I, I chewed my son out because I told him to make his bed and he didn't make his bed, he didn't clean up his room, and I chewed him out. And pastor, I feel really bad. Is that a sin? Why not? You yelled at somebody. You did what was your, your vocation work. That's your vocation. That's your vocation. You're supposed to. You're supposed to train a child up. You are. That has been given to you to do. So I say, well, that's not a sin. 
But if I start not with my feelings, if I start not with what someone else might tell me, yelling at someone or something like that, may or may not be a sin. If I start with the Ten Commandments, what does it do? It reveals where I have sinned. Most of the time, if I just come up to you and I say, all right, tell me about your sins, or it's time to confess sins, you go, um, well, uh, I don't we ought to immediately say, okay, let me walk through the Ten Commandments. Let me see if how those apply. Uh, and I might also take a look at Luther's explanation of what does this mean? Not just, you shall not murder, but uh, I, we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him and everything. I mean, what does it say? So that it might show us our sins. When we confess our sins, yes, it is our work. It is something that we do. We open our mouth and confess our sins. But it is something that God has shown us, taught us, by means of his law. Without his law, the Ten Commandments, uh, teaching us our sins, we wouldn't know that we were a sinner. We wouldn't know what sins we confess, and we wouldn't know that God actually wants to hear them. He wants us to... Tell him our sins, uh, to admit them. Yep, they belong to me. Yes, I deserve to have punishment here and eternally there. Absolution. Absolution is something we receive. Absolution comes from the word absolvo, to wash away. And so an absolution is a pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins that has the effect, the power, God puts it in his word, to wash away, to take away sins for those who, in faith, trust in that promise. And so here is an absolution going out. This, well, I don't go to the Ten Commandments to find the absolution. Where do I go to find the absolution? That's also in his word. Where? It's the gospel. It's the good news. So the Bible speaks the law, and it also speaks the gospel. It tells us both these things. So yes, absolutely. Here we are asking in private confession absolution that the pastor would speak out the words of the gospel, the good news. If someone comes to me and says, uh, I went and stole Jonathan's wallet, and the rotten scum deserved it. Some other guys tried to steal it, and they didn't get away with it. But I did. Ha. Now. I think that's an admission, but that's not a confession. Aha. Uh -huh. There is a difference. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, there, there's a sin that was mentioned, and I did attribute it to myself. But I didn't hear anything about it. I'm sorry I did that part. You bet. And so to say that this is offensive to God, that I deserve punishment, and going along with that is what we call the contrition, which God works in us that says... I wish I hadn't done it. I, wouldn't, I don't want to do it again. I'm, right. I'm sorry that I have done it. That's a different ballgame. Absolutely. So when we speak about then the absolution that is being spoken, this is an absolution in which we say, yes, I want my sin taken away. If someone comes to me and says, I stole his wallet, I'm glad I did, do I give them the absolution? No. No. Why? There is unrepentance. 
I have to say to them, no, you know, you're not telling me you're sorry. If someone comes to me and says, I, you know, I stole, you know, a, a million bucks and now I'm living really well, would you forgive me? Well, are you going to take it back? No. I just want forgiveness so I don't go to hell for it. What do I... I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's a basis, and I'm going to say that is a basic thing. Now, the example that I give is, is kind of crazy, because you're saying, yeah. I will say, though, when we fall in the midst of sin, <laughs> it's very hard for us to see it. And even though it, may, you know, it sounds crazy, people will do that. Um, and, and they do it in backhanded ways. They don't even realize kind of what they're saying. Often, I would say, if it is spoken out, and I have a chance to, to address it, to talk about it, sometimes even then, the person you know, is shocked back into their mind. You might say, they'd lost it for a while, and all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, that's what the word says. Of course it teaches repentance, of course, and I'm not. You know, and, 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 and they see that. Um, there are those, we're gonna talk about tonight, there are those who, have warped their conscience so much that they don't see it. And so they will look you straight in the eye and tell you what is wrong is right. So I, go ahead, you had. Yes. Than our own. Exactly. Exactly. I will also say that we have true. Christians that, that are sincere in their faith, that, that will come and they will say, you know, I did sin and I did do wrong. And yet they will have trouble either forgiving someone, they will have trouble because they know that in their heart they still love the old sin, um, and, and they don't know what to do with that. Uh, what do I do then, Pastor? Do I, do I go away until... I kind of get my heart right, and I say, absolutely not. You come right here and now, and what do you do? You say to me, I know I ought to forgive somebody, and I need to confess that I don't want to. I need to confess that I'm not doing what I should. Or, you know, I am not. Uh, I, I've got desires. I could come here and say that I don't love my sin, but I, I do love it, and that bothers me. Okay. Let's talk about how we ought to hate sin. Let's confess. So if it is our inability, then we come asking God to forgive and to give us the right ability. And so, you know, that also is, is done. But, but yes, um, sometimes uh, there needs to be the, on the one hand, the saying, no, that's not a confession. Uh, there's not repentance. On the other hand, there are some times in which we say you know, yelling at your child uh, who has done something wrong to correct them is not a sin. 
you need not worry about that. In fact, that's a very good thing that you did that, that you corrected your child. So um, let's forgive you for things that you have done. Let's go on with Luther's explanation. We dealt with that we receive absolution. This is something we receive. God has sent the pastor to speak it out that we might hear it. That is forgiveness from the pastor. That is forgiveness from the pastor. As from God himself. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. So what about this? Um, you kneel down beside your bed. You confess your sins uh, to God, what you have done this day. Uh, you go to bed knowing that the Lord has forgiven you. How do you know that? How do you know he has forgiven you? The word. I've heard the word. The word has told me about all who repent. I have forgiveness, and this is the kind of God that I have. So absolutely, it is based upon the word. Same thing when we have private confession absolution. How do we know that my sin is forgiven? It's not because the pastor has some secret knowledge. It is because the pastor speaks the word of God. He bases it upon your confession. That is, bases it upon the word of God. I don't give out forgiveness to people I like, and I withhold forgiveness from people I don't like. I give it out based upon the repentance, the forgiveness of sins is to be given out. So it gives out. But as we go on with this second question, we begin to ask, when we say, from God himself, hmm, it's as if God himself said it to me. Well, the pastor has been called by God to speak God's word, whether he is to speak it to many or to one. And so if you have sinned against Jonathan, are you going to go ask Dan about it? Are you going to say, hey, Dan, I sinned against Jonathan? What's Dan going to tell me? He doesn't, yeah, he's not, I, well, I don't know what, yeah, Dan goes, well, um, have you talked to Jonathan? Well, Sadie, I sinned against Jonathan, am I forgiven? You go, well, I, who am I to say? But if you have the representative, the pastor who has been sent, who's going to speak on God's behalf? Ah, this then is someone who is sent from God to speak the word of God. Sometimes for many, sometimes for individuals. So here is exactly the thing. If you've sinned against God, um, you want to go and ask God's representative, the one who's been sent to speak out the absolution. So that is why it speaks of from God himself. We ought to not doubt it, but believe it, because it's based upon the word of God. Second question, what sins should we confess? Repeat after me. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins. Even those we are not aware of. Even those we are not aware of. As we do in the Lord's Prayer. As we do in the Lord's Prayer. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer.
Good. So, before God, plead guilty of your sins. Tell him all your sins. Any ones you want to. Um, even the ones you're not aware of. Uh, if you take some time to do this, yeah, you're going to find quite a few. Um, nevertheless, as it goes on, but before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. At Luther's time, the church had some regulations. They had some regulations in which they required things. Absolution was optional, but if there was going to be absolution, you finally had to do your penance, and then uh, maybe you could, but you had to follow some rules. First of all, you had to confess all of your sins. of your sins. Well, yes, all of your sins. And when I say confess them, what I mean is you have to orally speak them out to the pastor in private confession absolution. So we got to confess all sins, and if you get done with private confession and you go outside and realize that you left one of them out, you have to make sure that you come back and do that. You're talking about in the Catholic Church. I am. No, I'm talking about the Roman Church. Yep, the one Luther grew up in, and at the time, that was a canon law requirement. What's the problem? One, you won't remember all of them. Number two is, how many priests would it take to be able to stack up and do all that? Yes. You never be able to leave the confession. You know, <laughs> exactly. So listen, I don't want to be there any longer than you do. Um, yes, we've got sins. One, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. And if it's required that that happen for you to get absolution, then you're always going to be in doubt. Um, and if you're required to say them orally, uh, before the pastor, this is going to take an awful long time. Um, not only can't you do it, um, no, there's not the time, there's not that which goes with it. What else? I didn't hear what Dan said, but did you say you don't even know some of them that you do? I mean, you don't know you You'll never leave the confessional. Yeah, you'll never. <laughs> right. And there's so many, again, we don't even know. So is it even possible? Absolutely not. So when Luther comes with this and says, listen, before God, by all means, confess all the sins you want. God's got all the time in the world. He's fine with it. Um, but if we're talking about private confession absolution, if there are things that trouble you, of course, we ought to know that our sins are forgiven. We ought to know what the word of God says. But if there is a persistent sin, one that is continuing to bother you week after week, day after day, if there is a sin that continues to rear its ugly head, if there is a sin from the past that you keep you know, saying, I keep telling myself I'm forgiven, but then I kind of wonder, am I really forgiven and I die? If there is something that you know and feel in your heart, bring it here so that you can hear the word of forgiveness go out. 
you can have that so that the next time the devil brings that sin up, you can say, no, I heard God's representative Saturday night, January 20th, tell me that sin was forgiven. I told him exactly what I did. And he told me God forgave me. So if somebody's bringing up this sin, is it God? No, it isn't. So I need not listen to that, need not let that trouble me. We can use this to put aside, to lay aside these things that are uh, uh, accusations of the devil that are, that are getting us down. And so that is why it speaks here of, uh, before the pastor, those which we know and feel in our hearts. Those are the ones in which we bring. Questions? All right, that gets us through question one and two. We'll take a look at a couple more. Question three and then one on... The Office of the Keys next time. Oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will be Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. And to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. You may be seated. The reading is on the back of the bulletin. It's from Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared so the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables 
and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here ends the reading. The hymn to the name of our salvation. salvation, blood and honor let us pray, which for many a generation hid in God's foreknowledge lay, but with holy exultation we may sing aloud today. Jesus is the name we treasure, name beyond what words can tell, name of gladness, name of pleasure, ear and heart delighting well, make of sweetness passing measure, saving us from sin and hell. Tis the name for adoration, tis the name of victory, tis the name for meditation in this veil of misery, tis the name for veneration by the citizens on high. Tis the name that so preacheth Speaks like music to the ear Who in prayer this name beseecheth Sweetest comfort findest near Who its perfect wisdom reacheth Heavenly joy possesseth here Jesus is the name prevailing over every name by right. 
At this name, in terror quailing, powers of hell are put to flight. God in mercy never failing, saves us by this name of might. Therefore we in love adoring, this most blessed name revere. Holy Jesus, the imploring, so to write it in us here, that hereafter heavenward soaring, we may sing with angels there. Amen. Tonight is the Gospel reading for Epiphany 5. Don't often get this one. In fact, we get three parables and one gospel reading. So uh, uh, a wealth that we have tonight. It starts off with the first parable. Uh, Describes it as another parable. That is, these aren't the only ones that he had spoken. In fact, a little bit later it says, whenever he spoke, he almost always used a parable, is what it says. All right, so he starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. What's the kingdom of heaven? The church. The church. And so he's going to tell us about his church. Not heaven, not the believers who already died and gone away. The church, that is us, the ones who have faith, who believe in him, we are his church. So he's going to talk about what is church. But you have to be careful because you have to make sure you well, understand the parable correctly. Uh, it normally doesn't uh, uh, necessarily have every part corresponds to everything, but it's going to tell us something about the way that his church works. This isn't the only parable about seed or planting or sowers. In the other ones that we have looked at before, we talk about a sower going out to sow his seed. And and there we talked about how uh, the sower was uh, God himself or the pastors preaching up. And then we said the seed was the word. If you interpret this parable with those explanations, you'll be wrong. We have Jesus actually telling us when we get over to verse 36, uh, the next, those three, pass, uh, three verses there, or four through 39, tells us exactly what this is talking about. So tell us about this parable of the tares. Tares are weeds. We got weeds that are out in the wheat field. What about this? He wants, they want to know. Tell us about this. The one who sows is who? It is Jesus. It is the Son of Man. Jesus is the sower. But what is the good seed? It's not the word in this one. It's believers. Here he says uh, that uh, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. We're the seed. He's sowed us. He's planted us. Where has he planted us? Here in this 
world. Hmm. We're not out and away. It's not a myth. It's not far away. Right here, where he has created this earth, here's where he plants his church. We're a part of this world. We're planted in, this says, the field is the world. So here we are. We're believers. We're in his world. It's going to therefore describe uh, the seed which we are later by the wheat that has come up. Um, I think we can definitely put together not only the faith which produces fruits, produces an abundance. So here, his believers, those who trust in him, are going to produce works of love, and then they're, they're, going, to, they're going to be strong. They're going to be wheat. But we have something else. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds, tares. Hmm. Who's the enemy? The devil. Who is, what, are, what is the weeds? The, yeah, the wicked. The, uh, these, are, these aren't people that believe. And yet the devil has gone. And so, and so when it comes up, they see weeds and they see wheat. And they say, Lord, what's going on here? Did you have bad seed? And he says, no, I planted the good seed. But the enemy, the devil, plants weeds, noxious weeds. Ah, um, Luther describes in the beginning of Genesis, he's got a wonderful commentary on Genesis, in which he talks about everywhere that God plants a church, the devil puts one right there as well. Any place there is that, the devil plants in the same place. That's what the devil does. The devil doesn't go off somewhere else. Um, he wants to cause trouble where? Right where the church is. That's where he wants to put the weeds, and that's what the devil does. Um, it says it happens when men are sleeping. Nobody knows what are the means? How does this happen? How did they get in? What happened? But we don't know until all of a sudden we say, nope, there are weeds. There are unbelievers. There are people in God's church. And this is not, this is not right. The grain sprouted. It produced a crop. But the tares also came up. So then the servant said, what do you want us to do about this? Um, you want us to go out there and yank all those weeds out of there? And what does he say? It sounds like it's the right thing to do. Get the weeds out of there. Pull them up. But what does he say? Don't do it. He says no. He says let them grow together. There will be a harvest and... He says that harvest will be at the end of the age. When the harvest comes, I've got people that are designed to take care of this. They're called angels. He says, and I will send them out. And at the very end, he says, I know which ones are weeds and weed. I know. I'll take care of this. Um, and I will separate. The weeds, they'll be gathered up and separate, just like we have the sheep and the goats, same kind of thing. And the weeds will be burned. That's all they're good for, eternal fire. 
and the wheat will be brought into my barn. So he says, don't worry, there'll be a harvest, there'll be a distinction between the believers and the unbelievers, between the righteous by faith in Christ and the wicked. But he says, don't go and yank them up. Why not? Why not? He tells us. Correct. In the ripping up of the weeds, it says that the wheat may be harmed. I'm going to say not only is it, and I think that's very true, so often do we know, can we see, can we tell, no. Nevertheless, you know, if we're talking about heresy, if we're talking about false doctrine, yes, I can, I can distinguish. If we're talking about immoral living, that which goes against the word of God, that which is unnatural, that which is hateful. Yes, we can, we can say there are things that are wrong, absolutely. Um, so it's not a matter of, of, of that always, but, but sometimes yes. Um, here though, if I go about ripping out the weeds, hmm, I'm going to go back to the church kind of thing. <laughs> the weeds are those that don't believe. Um, I'm supposed to preach the word of God. I'm supposed to teach them, right? I want to make sure that even those who have false understandings, those who reject Jesus, they may have a chance to repent. I want to wait. The Lord is so concerned that I bring in all of the wheat that as many people are saved as possible that he says, I don't want you bringing judgment to them before the end comes. I'm holding off on the judgment because I want to make sure to bring in as many as possible. In order to explain this, we're going to have to get one more thing. When Jesus says, let them both grow to the end, is he saying, now, pastor, if there's someone speaking falsehood, just let him stay in your congregation, don't worry about it. If there's someone who is, you know, stealing and cheating and lying, just let him be a member of your congregation, We'll have no excommunications, no removal. Is that what he's saying? Luke? He's not saying that. What is he concerned about? He's not saying don't do that. Yes, there will be that. And in other places, he absolutely says, Pastor, if they're unrepentant, tell them they're not forgiven. Absolutely. But here he is cautioning against something else. What is he worried about? What kind of removal of the weeds or tares is he talking about? Yep, exactly. What kind of tearing out does he mean here? It's not excommunication he's talking about. No. And I know this. How do I know? Because it says the field is not the church. If the field was the church and he told us to leave them in here, let them grow, then we could say, well, no excommunication. That's the way it is. But he's not saying that. He said the field is the world. What do you do? You know what he's talking about, Mark? Since this is the world, the only way to rip them out would be to kill them. You bet. And that's exactly it. And that's what we tried to do with the uh, Spanish Inquisition and that sort of thing. Exactly. And so we said, aha, we got a heretic? Burn him at the stake. Let's take care of him. Get him out of here, right? 
And so what are we going to do? You have this rooting around. What he's concerned about is this, not uh, uh, removal of those who, who are preaching falsehood and, and, and excommunion. He is talking about the punishment that takes people out of the field of this world. He's talking about this kind of by force, uh, uh, killing someone and, and these kind of things. Absolutely not. Effectively making yourself God. I judge, I judge you whether you're a Christian or not, and I kill you for it. Correct. Does that allow the weed, does it allow the person to come to faith, to later confess their sin? No, that's not, our job is not to do it. Whether the church does it himself, that's the Inquisition, or whether we tell the government that's what they need to do. No, no, no. The government is to protect body and possessions. They're to do their job too. Yes, they have the power of the sword. But that is not, that's what he is talking about, that it shouldn't happen, that we should not be in that job. Now, this all being said, uh, uh, you might say, give me a picture of what he's talking about. All right. We've got a, a town of Heron. Uh, we've got quite a few churches in the town of Heron. Um, are all of those preaching the truth rightly and administering the sacraments correctly? Should we have our own little, uh, next Sunday, bring your guns and pitchforks, and we're going to go remove the weeds out of another congregation. We're going to go and, and we'll take them out of this world and get them out of, our, out of our field of Herod. That is what he is talking about. We don't do that. Now, are they in the church? Yep, the outward church. There are people. Don't people come to you and say that all the time? Huh? Um, well, you know, I tell you, baptism saves. Yeah, the other guy down the street, he's a Christian. He doesn't say baptism saves. Yeah, you guys, what? You don't allow homosexuals? The church down the street does. They're doing, they're in the church. They're, they say they're Christians. When the devil plants heresy, heretics, but in the church, it, does it cause problems? You bet it does. And yet it is not our job. That's not my congregation. That's not. If there are those here, we'll say, no, you're not a member of this church. You're not in fellowship with us. Um, but we're not to take them out of the field of the world. Um, that is what he's cautioning. And he says, I got angels that can take care of that. They will do that. Your job, preach the word. Tell them. That's the only thing that we have. We don't use force. We use the word of God itself. So that's the first parable. And it's teaching us about the way of the kingdom in this world. We ought to be prepared to have all kinds of trouble in this world. And we ought to be prepared for the devil to be planting weeds. Um, Nevertheless, the Lord will take care of that at the end. Second parable. Second parable is about a mustard seed. It is a small, small seed. It was planted. It doesn't seem to be much. The least of all seeds. But what happens? It grows and grows and grows. Christianity. Uh, isn't, isn't that that little sect of Judaism that rejected group of 12 men and, and whatever. What, what, uh, those, does that those people that call themselves the way, thinking they're the only way to heaven, that small group of 12 men now has believers and churches throughout the world. The sun never sets upon the Christian church, the kingdom. It has grown and it says people, birds lighten its branches. We come and live within 
that which is the true church. And so just because there are things that are despised or small does not mean uh, that we ought to look away from it. Uh, the Lord doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the heart. He looks, and, and he often uses that which is small in order to provide. And so here we have uh, him teaching. Third parable. Third parable is about leaven. Hmm. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Uh, till it was all leaven. What does leaven do? Work it through the bread to do what? Make it rise. Exactly. And so what it does is it makes it alive. It makes it grow. It, it, it produces the uh, air inside of it so that it, it, it grows. This is what it describes. There's another place in the scripture where it talks about uh, leaven as if it was evil and, and, and says if you put it in there it'll infect the whole thing it'll go through and it'll get it all but this is the good leaven this is leaven that is being used as an example of that which works its way through it says the whole dough or the whole meal uh, what about these three loaves I, I'm sure there's probably some more involved symbolic interpretation um, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I do know that there were three loaves that Sarah went and worked together when they came to visit. Uh, it's often used, as another place, it's often used as, as simply a meal. It's the whole thing. It's a, it's a pretty large amount. Um, you're going to have a, a feast is what you're going to have. This is not for you and your wife. This is for you and your 12 kids, you know, um, that, that are going to get together. But what's going on? Uh, the yeast of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness is going to work its way through so that uh, it uh, uh, inhabits the entire church. Uh, that's what it is. It is not just a, a little thing or it's not a minor thing. It is all that is needed. It's the thing that makes bread what it is. And so here we have uh, the preaching of Jesus Christ himself for us. Jesus says, I, I, I preach in parables for a reason. I preach in parables for a reason for those who are believers that they might understand this, that they might know about the way that I do this, so that they might be comforted in their faith and not be worried about uh, those who are preaching falsehood. Uh, St. Paul in another place kind of explains and says, of course there has to be those who teach falsely so we can know who the true Christians are. He says there'll be a distinguishing. That's what it's for. It, it makes the contrast uh, so much easier. And so uh, in this particular one, he says, nevertheless, for those who are not, they, they will not understand the word of, of God. They can't use it to manipulate it for their own purposes. And so uh, it doesn't give them comfort at all like it does uh, for us. For the church then, we need to know that there is both an outward fellowship. An outward fellowship would be like being a member of a congregation or an outward fellowship of being a member or sitting in a pew, gathering together, and we would say outwardly, yeah, I can see a whole bunch of people here. And yet the church itself is truly made up of the inward fellowship of faith in Christ. There may be those that are gathered who are just outwardly here that have no faith in Christ. They're doing other things, whatever. 
but we are concerned about what Christ is doing. And so uh, Jesus begins to tell us, here's the way my church is, it's made up of believers, nevertheless, because it's planted in the field of this world, well, we've got to deal with the outward things, and here's where he's speaking of those, and says, uh, at least concerning the removal of the wickedness, uh, that will wait for the judgment, and at that point, the Lord will make a right judgment. Questions? Comments? Okay, prayers this evening. What do we need to ask God for, thank him for, confess, praise him? Get out your brown sh- Keep us strong. Help us to see those falsehoods. Uh, Open our eyes. uh, And let us trust that our Lord will take care of his church. If you have your responsive prayer for catechesis, please stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are a soul, but are like the shadow which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, we implore you to keep your church and household continually in your true religion, that they who do lean upon the hope of your heavenly grace may evermore be defended by your mighty power. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Keep us in your word that we might always have true faith, be members of your church. We ask also that you would give us insight that we might, understanding your parables, know that you will provide and also that we might recognize that which is false and reject it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people in peace. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life.